Amen. Don't you love them hymns? Um, I'm one of them kids that, uh, like um, some of y'all here, uh, just grew up in church. Amen? And uh, most of those hymns, besides the ones that Brother Cole throws on us that we've never sang before, actually he hasn't done that in a while, has he? But most of those hymns, uh, I know by heart. And it's not because I took all the time. thing working here. All right, there it is. I want to be heard. Yeah, great. Speaking of green, I, I really don't care about, you know, Michigan State or Michigan. I know some family members do. But after they lost uh, that Sunday night, we went over to Sitgo uh, there at 55, the gas station. They got the one gas pump is uh, Michigan and one's uh, the, the state. Well, after they lost the very next day, that pump was out of order. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> Not only did they lose, but I guess you couldn't get gas either. So, First Samuel chapter 20. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> First Samuel chapter 20. Going through the life of David, preaching the best we know how through First Samuel. And uh, the more I read this book and the more I study about David, the more I realize... Yes, he had God's hand on him. Yes, he had supernatural power uh, in certain places, but he was so very human. And I think sometimes we elevate the biblical characters to a place where we can't reach and avail ourselves to them, but there is so much that we can learn if we're just willing to take a peek at it. First Samuel chapter 20, you're all comfortable now, and I will have you stand. I'm going to read some. I don't know if I'll read the whole chapter. There's quite a bit there. I mean, and if you can't stand, I understand. <laughs> Even though we just sang a song standing on the promises. <laughs> you do what you can do. <clears throat> Bible says here in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1, And David fled from Nioth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is mine iniquity and what is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life? And he said unto him, God forbid, thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but that he will show it me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. And David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. And uh, Dr. Ruckman says that David lived more than 45 years after this, so it was a pretty long step. <laughs> but when you're in the moment, man, and you're going through it, you feel many times like you're going to die. Look at verse 4. Then said Jonathan unto David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. And David said unto Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king at meat. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field unto the third day at even. If thy father at all miss me, then say David earnestly asked leave of me that he might run to Bethlehem his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he say thus, it is well, thy servant shall have peace, but if he be very wroth, then be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore thou shalt deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of the Lord with thee, notwithstanding, if there be in me iniquity, slay me thyself, for why shouldst thou bring me to thy father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from thee, for if I knew certainly that evil were determined by my father to come upon thee, then would I not tell it thee? 
Then said David to Jonathan, Who shall tell me? Or what if thy father answer thee roughly? I think that's far enough in the chapter. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this evening and we're thankful to be in the church house. And Father, we do plead the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we're here today because we need a fill-up in the middle of the week. And Father, it's been a long week so far. No doubt we're all tired. Father, we're wore out. And Father, I concur, we are kind of homesick for that country. And Father, I pray that you'd come soon, rescue us from this evil, wicked world. Lord, nevertheless, Lord, help us to be lights shining around us, no matter where we go. Lord, keep working on us. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you're even mindful of us. And Father, we sure long to be with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> kind of a long introduction, maybe short message. Or vice versa, however you want to look at that thing. David, no doubt, he's on the run. <laughs> this is an interesting time in David's life. He's running. Now, he didn't run from the lion. He didn't run from the bear. He didn't run from Goliath. But now, David's on the run. Uh, if you remember in chapter 19, back in verse 3, Jonathan advised him to hide himself in a secret place. Remember, we preached that last week. David then surfaces in chapter 19 one more time to fight the Lord's battles. But as soon as he's back in the presence of big britches Saul, I call him, you know, the, the only fellow that, you know, the only thing going on is the thing that he's doing. He had to run for his life in verse 10 of chapter 19 and then verse 12. And then again in verse 18, everywhere David goes, he has to run away from I struggle with this a little bit because as Christians, you know, we immediately go to that verse, or at least I do because I'm a Bible believer. I have a Bible and I believe the Lord gives us answers. He gives us ammunition and the Bible says that the righteous are as bold as a lion, right? But the first part of that verse is the wicked flee when no man pursueth. But here's the thing, someone's chasing David. <laughs> so it's not like he's got this idea. I mean, people are literally going after his life. And I try to put myself in the shoes of David, and I struggled. But nevertheless, everywhere David goes, he has to run away from that situation. He has to run away from his trusted friends. He has to run away from family. <laughs> he has to run away from even the one who spiritually was a father figurehead to him. Now, every time David runs somewhere and trouble shows up on the scene, just remember this, the Lord is the one who delivers David. Whether it's giving him the quick feet of the deer, remember, there's like three verses in the Bible, two written by David, and one in the book, I believe, of Habakkuk, where David, and I'll quote it wrong, because I can't think of it, but he's like, thou givest me hind's feet. Remember that? I'm like, why in the world do you want hind's feet? I thought hind was a part of your body. No, it's a deer. I mean, the Lord gave David the feet of the deer. You, you say, well, why did the Lord give the feet of the deer? Well, someone's chucking javelins at him. <laughs> Aren't you glad you got the feet of a deer when you got someone chucking spears at you? So whether he's, uh, has, the Lord has delivered him by giving him the, the, the hind's feet to move out of the way of the javelins. How about this one? Or it's the Lord giving David the ability to jump out the window when his wife's there and Saul's chasing him, right? He had to go out the window. And sometimes, don't you, in your marriage, you want to go out the window too, amen, or up the wall. Or, uh, it, whether it's the Lord supernaturally intervening, like we preached last week, and overpowering three bands of messengers that were sent to kill him, and then overpowering the big man himself, 
to provide him time to leave. I got to thinking about that, and last week I preached that the Lord did that so David would have time to flee. Now, that might be the reason. But I got thinking about it again in, in lieu or in light of this passage, and maybe, maybe, and I'm not being critical of David by any means. No one's after me. No one's after my life, per se. But maybe David should have just stuck with the old preacher. Because you see later in 20, he's running throughout chapter 20. He begins to run again in chapter 21. And then eventually David, because he's human, he begins to fall prey to the fear of man. Anyways, the Lord always delivers David. And I believe that's not the message, but boy, that's a good thought to think about, isn't it? The Lord always delivered David. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, present tense, in whom we trust that he will yet, future, deliver us. Now what can we take away from chapter 19 before we put it behind us in the rearview mirror? Well, first of all, friends are a blessing. Amen? Uh, friends are hard to come by. And most friends and friendships do not last. And if you have a good one, then the Bible says you're going to have to be friendly. You have to hang on to it. You have to nurture it. How about this? You're going to have to learn to change. But here's the thing. Friends can't deliver you out of your troubles. God must deliver you. What else can we learn? Well, secondly, family is a precious gift from God. Most families, I say most, uh, I wouldn't be wrong to say that, but most families are busted up with pride and their own pernicious tendencies. Amen. If you have a godly family, praise the Lord for it. And then work hard to be a family member that you would want to have. It takes work. If you have a good family, praise the Lord. Work at changing when the Lord leads you to change. And then guard your family. Stick up for your family. Protect your family. But remember, your family can't deliver you. God has to be the one to deliver you. And finally, what we can learn from chapter 19, spiritual fathers, spiritual figureheads, and mentors are absolutely priceless. Uh, men who don't have a mentor are stuck in an eternal rut and will never change. A man, I don't care who he is, must have a mentor. Especially a young man. Say, what's young man? Under 70 is young. <laughs> Youth is relative, amen? There's always someone older and always somebody younger. Amen. And following, following the counsel of a spiritual figurehead, per se, it pays divine dividends. I'm not going to uh, waste the time. Then I wouldn't be a waste, but I'm not going to go through the thing. The counsel that I've received from a trusted mentor to do things in the ministry and it has done nothing but help and save heartache. But again, spiritual figureheads and mentors can't deliver you. The Lord must deliver you in your time of need. And as David is growing, and he is growing, he's learning that he can't put his trust solely in his friends. He cannot put his trust solely in his family. And that's disconcerting, isn't it? That's, that's difficult. Uh, if you look at Hollywood, they have two sides of everything. They have the busted up family and the rough, tough loner, you know, and everyone's, uh, you know, I'm all my own man and don't mess with me and I'll shoot you if you look at me. And then you have the other side of Hollywood is just depraved and uh, you're so fierce in your loyalty, if you look at my family member wrong, I'll kill you. 
I believe you ought to protect your family, but you ought to have common sense too, amen? Family member being an idiot, maybe he just needs to have his day, amen? <laughs> have his coming up. <clears throat> but at any rate, David has learned that no matter where he's at and who he's with, it's better to trust the Lord, that's Psalm 118, than to put confidence in any man. And so we see here that with the life of David, I'm trying to go somewhere here in a minute, but learning to trust the Lord is a decision. It's a decision. It's not just something we do because many times it's something we don't do. We trust ourselves. We trust our own, uh, our trust our own intellect, which is dangerous. We trust uh, how much we got in the bank, <laughs> whether the decisions we make or not. <laughs> For some of us, it ought to be easy. There's not much in there. You know, have too many decisions to make. Amen. Uh, but you trust your intellect. But it's trusting the Lord is a decision. Not only that, can I say this? Uh, just, uh, just shy of 48 years, trusting the Lord is a process. It's a process that you have to start somewhere. And you see David, he's in that process. He's in the saddle of God's mercy and grace. He's being developed by God the Father. And it's a process and it's a decision. And as you trust the Lord in small ways, he then gives you the opportunities to trust him in other places and in other ways. You know the verse, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. He says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Well, have you not trusted the Lord with all your heart? And then the Lord showed you that you had a little bit more heart to trust him with. And you trusted him here and he didn't let you down here. And then you realize that you could trust him with this, you could trust him with your salvation, that you could trust him with your family. And if you trust him with your family, well, then I guess you can trust him with your fortune and so forth and so on. It's a process. It's a decision. But now in chapter 20, here's the thing. David's still on the run. <laughs> he's, still, he's still ducking and covering. Amen? To say that he is wrong for running, I believe, is foolish. It's foolish. For God directs him throughout his running. However, to say that you should always run is contrary to the Bible itself. And a man learning to trust the Lord, can I say this through experience, he's not going to make the right decision every time. Uh, we have this air about us many times that uh, we're afraid to fail because we don't want to fail. <laughs> I see it in, in school. I see it with children that are, many of them, most of them lost. Uh, they don't want to put the effort in because they don't want to fail. Now, hold on. You're going to fail. It's not a if you, yes or no, it's when. You're going to fail. It's a fact. But to say that we're always running is wrong is contrary to the Bible. But I believe the Lord looks at our hearts, don't you? I believe the Lord looks at our hearts. I believe the Lord examines our motives. Let me say this, by permission. He looks at our hearts and our motives more than our methods many times. A man with the right motive can be redirected in his methods. But if he doesn't have the right heart, if he doesn't have the right motive, God can't redirect a man. I believe if your heart's right, God, can, God does, as he has with me, has had grace for many years when my methods were not the greatest. They weren't the most perfect. But many times I believe the Lord looked and said, well, yes, you are an idiot, but your motive is right. So we're going to direct you this way. And then we're going to direct you that way. Now, throughout 20, chapter 20, I see David, a man after God's own heart, learning to trust the Lord, and yet 
he is still on the run. I want to preach about being on the run because when you're on the run, when you're on the run, certain things happen. And if you're a human being, which I don't think there's any robots in here tonight, you're going to go through various emotions, various things happen in the Christian life. When trouble shows up, last week we preached about a time of trouble. Well, David's still in trouble, and he's going to be in trouble for another 10 or 11 chapters with Saul, and then his trouble shifts gears, like we said. And just remember this, if you're having trouble with family right now, or if you're having trouble with whatever it is, friends or finances, however you want to say that thing, and that trouble ends, just hang on, some other trouble will surface. <laughs> That's why the closer you get to the Lord, it sh you should come to a place in your Christian life where you long for the correcting hand of God. Because <laughs> you're always going to be in that process. You're always going to be in that change mode. But I want to show you some things about being on the run that I see through this chapter. And it has, of course, to do with David. And he's a man after God's own heart. He's God's man. And God loves him. And uh, David's a good man. Wouldn't you agree? And he's a man's man. But here's the thing. A man on the run uh, from, from the trouble that God gives him. Look here in verse 1. I see when a man's on the run, you know what he does a lot of times? He just looks for answers. He's looking for answers. And uh, you probably will relate to most of these. In verse 1, he shows up. <laughs> And he's, uh, he said, what have I done? What is mine iniquity and what is my sin? You see, he's looking for answers. Uh, many times when you have trouble, you know what you do? You beat yourself up because you're looking for answers, aren't you? You want to know, why is this happening to me? And uh, there's very few times in my Christian life where I was advanced or mature enough to say, thank you, Lord, right off the bat for trouble. Because when the trouble comes, I'm, usually I have a guilty conscience. If you don't, you're way ahead of me. I'm like, okay, I, what did I do to deserve this? Just to make sure, right? And then when you can't think of anything, you're like, what, why is this happening? What's going on? So here David is, and he comes to Jonathan, and he's looking for answers. He says, what have I done? He's looking for an answer, you know, Right? And he says, what is mine iniquity? What is my sin? Don't you think David had put that through his mind and hadn't come up with anything? It's almost as if not accusing David for sin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now a word from your sponsors. <laughs> this is what this is what the world can't stand is radio silence. Amen. Because the world is so used to being entertained by someone's voice or a song or something. But some silence is good for you. Maybe I was so why is the Lord telling you to shut up? Not yet. <laughs> Let's try it again. But he looks for answer, doesn't he, there, verse 1. Wouldn't you agree with me tonight when you look at that? He's really trying to figure out what in the world's going on. Why, why is the old man chasing after me? Why do I got to run around like a dog and, you know, have my tail between my legs and slip in and slip away and slip out and got to find a secret place here? And I come back and I fight the Lord's battles and I'm a hero, but I get around you and you want me dead. 
What's your problem, old man? You know, he said, what have I done? And uh, I, yeah, I don't know if you've ever felt this way before. If you haven't, hang on. But when trouble hits you and causes you to run many times, many times, your rights and wrongs will get crossed. Does that make sense tonight? You'll begin to question yourself when you ha were, thought you were doing the right thing and you begin to think you did the wrong thing. Uh, whether it's dealing with people, whether it's dealing with family, uh, whether it's dealing with your spouse or whatever, your children or the neighbor, you begin to think, okay, and you begin to second guess yourself. Well, you're just looking for answers. Why? On the run. Why? Trouble. The root word is trouble. Not only that, but here's the thing. If you look in verse 2, notice that no matter how many questions you ask, no matter how earnestly you implore, your real friends don't understand what you're going through, do they? You know what he says? Verse 2, thou shalt not die. Well, let me tell you what. David thought he was going to die. And when you're going through it, whether it's a sickness, or whether it's an affliction, whether it's persecution or tribulation, you're going through it, and it's real. Right? What, are the, what do psychologists say? Uh, what do they, they say uh, about your reality? Perception is reality. You say, why do you say that? Because any real psychology that sticks came out of the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And how you perceive things, Christian, is a reality. That's why it's foolish for a preacher to get up and tell you not to, uh, to uh, trust doctors or medicine. That's stupid. It's foolish for a preacher to get up and uh, downplay that stuff. Why? Uh, he's not a medical doctor. He's a preacher. Right? Got to shut his mouth and just stick to the book, what he knows. <laughs> Amen. But your perception, how you perceive things, is your reality. Some of you right now are very worked up about certain things. Why? Because that's what you're going through. And you know what you're doing? You're looking for answers. You might not be on the run for your life, but a lot of times trouble makes you run. And when you're on the run, you look for answers. And your rights and your wrongs get crossed. And your real friends don't really understand, do they? And no matter how much you talk to them and how much you lean into them, at the end of the day, they're just like, I really don't know what to tell you. But you're looking for a response, aren't you? And that's what David, David is looking for a response among the closest of his friends. And here it is, Jonathan. Uh, Dr. Ruckman said this many times when he preached. He'd stop. He'd have that piece of chalk in his hand. He'd turn around and he'd say, Earth, a place for trust. Heaven, a place for answers. Man, that's profound. You know what some of us as Christians are doing right now? You might not be on the run, but you're, you're looking for answers and there are none. And what you do is you're trying to make sense of a situation that doesn't make any sense at all. You know, there's no, there's, you can't explain some of the things that go on right now in this life. You cannot explain some of the things that are going on in your Christian life. Only thing you can do is say, the Lord knows. The Lord knows. The Lord has the answer. And you can try to search it out, and your best friends, and your best friends will do the best they can to help you. But at the end of the, at the conversation, they, they don't know what to do. Many times they don't know what to say, and Jonathan's like, you're not going to die. Now, he happened to be right, but David, you couldn't convince David of that. When you're going through it, you're looking for answers. You want an answer, and many times there is no answer to be had. The story is told of a drunk who was seen by a police officer looking for something. He kept falling over, stumbling down in the back alley. And so, of course, they, they, uh, they uh, pulled the car over and wanted, what are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my wallet. So where did you have it last? He said, two blocks that way. 
cop was kind of bewildered. He's like, why in the world? You looking over here? He said, there's no street lights over there. He's looking in the wrong place, wasn't he? And a lot of times you're looking for answers in all the wrong places, aren't you? Ain't that something? I mean, we read something similar, not the drunk part, but about Luke chapter 2 about Mary and Joseph. They had Jesus Christ, 12 and a half years old, right? Or 12 years old. And they go down to the temple with him, and they have a great time at the feast and all that. And they come back, and they lose Jesus Christ. And you know what Mary and Joseph do? <laughs> They're good Baptists. It takes them a day to figure out they lost him, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, you have a small church. You know, you go play in the back 40, you know. <laughs> it takes them a day to figure out they lost Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, they begin looking for him in their company. And that's what we do. A lot of times you look for answers in the company that you run with. Try to figure out what's going on. And the next thing, not only your company, but your acquaintances. And then you start taking up with people that you know. I'm like, hey, you understand? Why? Uh, I, don't, I don't understand what's going on. And I, I'm doing the best I can, and I've just been serving the Lord, and this happens. And then the last part is there in Luke chapter 2, they look for them in their kinfolk. And then you needle back on your family. And you're just looking for answers is all you're doing. You say, why? Because a man's on the run. And you know what? The answer was found, as you know. You know they found Jesus Christ? The last place they had communication with him. Right back at the temple in Jerusalem. Lost him for one day, and it took three days for them to find him again. And they found him right where they left him. So I'm just telling you here, it just uh, might not be much of a fire and brimstone message, but a lot of times when you're on the run, you just start, you're in trouble. You start looking for answers to questions that don't have answers. And you're looking in the wrong place. And you're asking people who have less of an idea than you do. And you're trying to make sense of a situation that does not make sense. You're trying to make sense of your Christian life, your salvation, your trials, and your tribulations in a sinful, wicked world. Many times it's not going to make any sense. But when you're on the run, a lot of times you look for answers. Well, not only are you look for answers, but a man on the run, he looks for answers. And you know what he does? Look at verse 7. He looks for agreement. He looks for agreement. I notice what David says here. I'll go back to verse 6 here. If thy father at all miss me, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me, that he might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he say thus, it is well, thy servant shall have peace. But if he be very wroth, then be sure that evil is determined by him. So you see what's going on here. Uh, David is on the run. He's looking for answers. And you notice what this looking for agreement does. In this situation, it leads to deception. Now look, did the Lord deliver David? 100% he did. Was David God's man? Yes. But do you see the deception that they're devising here at this point? I'm not trying to be hypercritical. I'm just saying you have to be careful when you're looking for answers. The next thing you'll be looking for is someone to get on your side. You'll be looking for agreement, and yet you don't even have the answers of what's going on. I see people do this. I'm sure I've done it several times. You look for people to garner sympathy or garner strength from because you're going through it and I, I tell you what I don't understand this and uh, we got to figure this thing out and what we need to do is we need to we need to set this thing up and because I want you to see I want you to see uh, if I'm right or not you see that 
And what happens is you go looking for others to agree with you, and it leads to deception. In verse 5, look at the deception. But let me go that I may hide myself. And then he tells Jonathan, basically, he says, lie to the old man. That's what he does. You see the humanity here. Is this, this David that killed Goliath? Yes. Is this the uh, lover of God's heart? Yes. But you know what he's doing? He's telling his best friend to lie. Again, not critical, just pointing out the humanity. When you're on the run, you're looking for answers. You're looking for agreement. Now, this deception, you know what it does? It leads further, as you see in the passage, to distrust. It leads to distrust and division. Uh, look at verses 30 to 34. When this whole thing comes out, and yes, David was absolutely right. And so are you many times. But listen, just because you're right doesn't mean you have to go about establishing your own righteousness. What if the Lord wants you down and low? Isn't that a hard thing to understand? What if the Lord wants you to go through that? How in the world could David ever have been the king of Israel if he wouldn't have never learned to trust the Lord? How in the world could he have led the greatest nation on this earth for 40 years and fought the Lord's battles if he didn't get knocked down and the Lord assured him that he'd get, pick him right back up? So many times when you're out there, you're looking for answers and you're looking for people to, all right, you be on my side. I'm going to show you I'm right here. Okay, you're right, but the Lord's probably trying to develop you. In verse 30 to 34, notice how this thing comes out. The Bible says, Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. He said unto him, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman. Now you notice the new Bibles, they don't update that phrase, do they? And all the new Bibles say, well, we're here about the word, updating the archaic words of the King James. Now, if you update that phrase, there's no doubt in my mind you can figure out what should go there, right? <laughs> all right. <laughs> Do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion, and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the, the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely what? Die. And Jonathan answered Saul's father and said to him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? Here is the pivotal moment that Saul could have said, All right, he did this, 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 and this. What does he do? He chucks a spear at his own son. Look at verse 33. And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him. You know what he said? <laughs> there is no reason. I just want him dead. Guilty. It's exactly what David said was going to happen. Whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. But listen. That deception it has now created a division. Would you agree? Up until this point, if you read the tenor of Jonathan's conversation, he's like, oh, the old man ain't going to do nothing unless he tells me about it. It's a pretty good relationship, even though all dads are kind of boneheaded. Amen? But here, this deception, this deception that was masterminded by David's perception has led to division and ultimately distrust. You see it? you got to be careful when you go looking for agreement, Christian. Bible says in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, the answer is no, you can't. Old preacher said it's never, never wrong to walk down the right road as long as you can until it becomes a wrong road with somebody and then you go the other way. But here's the thing. It leads to not only deception, but it leads to division amongst family between Jonathan and Saul, not only distrust and division, but it can lead to deep disappointment. Look at verse 41, deep disappointment. David 
had to be right. David looked for agreement. Look what comes of it. And at verse 41, as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another and wept one with another until David exceeded. They're both brokenhearted now. See, before it was just David. You see what, see what I'm getting at? David has literally taken the weight of his problems and placed it upon the shoulders of his best friend. Well, let me ask you this question just by way of, I'm just a simple preacher. What can Jonathan do about it? But now the distrust, the deception, and the division that it's caused Jonathan as well. And you see that Jonathan is never able to remedy David's problem, is he? But David was looking for agreement. Again, not to be ultra-critical, but I see this whole passage as David's just on the run and he's looking for some answers. And he's looking for some agreement. He's looking for some agreement. The Bible says there in verse 40, and wept with one another. When you go looking for answers, Christian, and you're looking for agreement amongst men, can I say this? It will almost always lead to disappointment. Jonathan is disappointed in his family. He's disappointed in his father. Why? Because what David says is true. Jonathan thought he knew, David, uh, knew Saul. You ever thought you'd know somebody? <laughs> and then they show their true colors. You say, what does that mean? They're just human like you are. All flesh is grass. Every Christian has got a chink in their armor somewhere. And uh, it will almost always lead you to disappointment. Jonathan's disappointed in his family. He's disheartened by his friend's distress. It had to stress him out that David was, the Bible says there in verse 41, until David exceeded. That means Jonathan stopped crying and David kept on going. <laughs> David exceeded. So he's disappointed in his father. He's disheartened by his friend. And I bet you this, I bet you anything, I bet you Jonathan's disappointed in himself. Because here he is, his best friend, can't do a thing about it. That's frustrating, isn't it? You see someone has a problem, they come to you for help, and you're like, what can I do? And then to find that you're part of the problem because you're related to it. <laughs> that had to be frustrating. Disappointment is real. Would you agree, Christian? I mean, Christians struggle with disappointment. My mentor says this, says zero expectation produces zero disappointments. Boy, that's profound. But how difficult is it to not know somebody, not care about somebody, and then levy expectations about their behavior? <laughs> well, I figured they would have. Well, there you go figuring again. <laughs> I mess maybe as a Christian, you just figure everyone's a mess and... Without the grace of God, they're going to do something crazy. I uh, learned uh, when I was with the ice cream company many years, uh, I would get calls from the drivers. And they're like, oh, boss, you're not going to believe this. And at first I'm like, oh, no, what? And after a while I'm like, lay it on me, man. <laughs> I had one, one, uh, one employee, uh, he was um, new to the area, and he uh, was cranking down a back road. And uh, the road took an immediate 90 degree turn to the right and he went immediately into a tree at 50 miles an hour and it hit that thing so hard it moved the entire frame forward about a foot <laughs> uh, I was glad he was alive when he came to the depot on the killing but anyways you know 
And nothing surprised me after a while. And in the Christian life, the longer you live, I believe sometimes you're like, when someone comes to you, you're like, oh, well, yeah, you know, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan's disappointed himself. Back in 1858, I wasn't around, but uh, history states, <laughs> history states the uh, Illinois legislature, imagine that, the Illinois legislature doing something shady, you know. The Illinois legislature, using an obscure statute, sent Stephen A. Douglas to the U.S. Senate instead of Abraham Lincoln. Even though Abraham Lincoln had won the popular vote, they found, you know, whatever, the hanging chads or something, or whatever the thing was, and, and they sent Stephen Douglas to the Senate because they couldn't stand Abraham Lincoln. When a sympathetic friend asked Lincoln how he felt, he said, and I quote, like the boy who stubbed his toe, I'm too big to cry and too badly hurt to laugh. Disappointment. I bet you that caused Jonathan a lot of disappointment. Listen, a man on the run, a Christian, you know what you're going to look for sometimes? You're going to look for answers and there's no answers. And you're going to look for people to be on your side. And, you, and, and even if you get them on your side, look the hurt that you caused. You never stop and think that God chose you to go through what you're going through and nobody else? Uh, a friend of mine, uh, he's like, oh, I don't know why the Lord gave me cancer. I'm thinking... Sound terrible. I'm glad he gave to you and not me. Finally, I told him one day, I said, Brother, you ever stop and think that the Lord knew that if he gave you cancer, you'd still read your Bible, you'd still pray, you'd still up and go to church, and if he gave somebody else cancer, they might quit? He goes, well, I never thought about that. I was like, I don't know. I'm not telling you that's true, but maybe that's why. You ever stop and think you've gone through a couple things and the Lord just allowed you to go through it because he knew you'd hold up under it? And you wouldn't get bitter about it? If man, he gave me half the things that some people had, man, I'd probably be in Hawaii. Backslid as a day is long. <laughs> but be careful when you're looking for answers and agreement. Well, I got one more for you here tonight. A man that's on the run and in this passage, he looks for answers like we've seen. You got to be careful about that. Because your rights and wrongs get uh, crossed. Uh, he looks for agreement, but notice this. Many times, he just simply looks to alleviate the pressure he's under. I'll look at verse 8. He's looking to alleviate pressure. Listen, when you've when you got problems, you've got their pressure, and pressure builds. Verse 8, notice what David says. He's, he's telling Jonathan what he's going to do. Hey, man, he says, Therefore thou shalt deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of the Lord with thee, notwithstanding if there be unto me iniquity, slay me thyself, for why shouldest thou bring me to my father? Uh, when you look to alleviate the pressure, can I just remind you, when you look to alleviate the pressure yourself, that pressure has to go somewhere. It's got to go somewhere. And here David puts a pressure on Jonathan. I don't know if you see it. And you say, well, you're an idiot. Well, maybe. But I see he's putting the pressure on, he's putting the pressure on his friend. He's looking for answers. He's looking for him to get on his side. And then he's looking to put the pressure on him. See, that's what we do. We don't want to go through it alone with the Lord. We want to find someone else and dump on them and say, hey, I can't handle this, right? Tell me I'm not the only guy that's ever thought that. I mean, when the pressure's on, man, it is on. It's like a dump truck load. And you're like, you're looking to find someone here. Help, help me out, man. But David, he puts the pressure on Jonathan in verse 8. Look at, deal kindly with me. Think about this. As if Jonathan hadn't been kind to him. You see that? 
Why would he say that? You say, well, it's just something he said. Well, maybe it was. But Jonathan has been absolutely kind. He gave him his robe. He gave him his girdle. He gave him his sword. They made an oath or they made a covenant between the two. And now David's like, now you got to be kind to me. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> What's the pressure for? The entire relationship is built upon love and the love of God. Notice what he says in verse 8. For thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant. He's like, you got to be kind to me because I've been kind to you. You got me hooked up in this thing. It's your fault, Jonathan. You made me swear. You made me be a part of it. You're the one that got me involved in this. I don't know about you, but I see pressure. I see pressure. And then he says, slay me thyself. <laughs> I'm sure he meant it. As if David really thought he'd done anything wrong. No, drop down to verse 10. Notice this. He says, who shall tell me? I don't know about you, but you read that verse 8 and verse 9 and verse 10. I can feel the emotion coming out. I can feel the pressure. And David's under pressure. And let me tell you what. Pressure is a crazy thing. When you're under pressure, it makes you do weird things. It makes you act weird. Um, and Jonathan, I believe here, he does the right thing. I think he does what he knows how to do. And look at verse 11. He kind of puts the pressure on the Lord which is the right thing. David's putting pressure on Jonathan. Jonathan turns around and puts it back on the Lord as well as himself. Look at verse 11. And Jonathan, this is the most interesting thing. Look what he says. And Jonathan said unto who? David, come and let us go into the field. And they went both of them into the, the field. Now notice this. And Jonathan said unto David. He's looking at David. And what is he doing? Now he's praying. And Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel. Is David the Lord God of Israel? So he's got to be praying. That's an interesting prophetic look on that thing. Anyways, <laughs> Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, what I have sounded my father about tomorrow any time, the third day, and behold, if there be good toward David, and, not, and I then send not unto thee, and show unto thee, the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. David puts the pressure on Jonathan. Jonathan turns around and puts the pressure on the Lord, and puts the pressure on himself. And you can never forget that when you see someone act out of character. Have you ever seen a Christian act out of character? That's a dumb question, right? You ever see someone that just would not normally act that way, and they act that way, and you're like, what are you talking about, Willis? Like, what, what are you doing? Like, you know, like in Walmart, and you see someone, and they run around the other aisle. And they run away from you? Maybe not you. I don't know. People just act weird. <laughs> we're... Going down the streets one day, ran into a fellow, a super nice guy, and acting kind of weird, and and uh, <laughs> guy had a cigarette in his hand. <laughs> I don't care if you smoke. I mean, I mean, you can't smoke in heaven. You have to go to hell if you want to light up. But anyways, you know, a guy he's trying to hold, he's trying to hold that thing, and I didn't know that. Probably burn his hand. And kids told me hey, that guy was smoking. I'm like, oh, he was. <laughs> you know, just thought it was you know Hager disposer or something. But anyways, but when a man's under pressure, I'm saying he acts out of character. And you'll do the same thing. It's because they're under pressure. And you know what happens is many times you look to alleviate that pressure. And you can seek to alleviate the pressure two ways. I see two ways. Number one, you can seek to alleviate through your own flesh, which pleases you. Or you can take that thing and you can seek to alleviate the pressure through your Heavenly Father. Two ways. There's three things I see through this passage. When a man's on the run, he looks for answers. 
And Christians, sometimes there's no answers. Sometimes it's Romans 8.28. Sometimes it's like batting down the hatches, fix bayonets, and charge. And let me tell you what. There's things that uh, the Lord has allowed us to go through, me to go through, my family to go through, me and my wife to go through. We still don't know the reason for it, but we'll know one day. We'll know one day. He said, no good thing will he withhold to them that walketh uprightly. If I'm doing the best I can, God knows my heart. He knows my motives. He can redirect my methods. You're going to be 100% on everything? Of course you're not. But you seek for answers, then you'll seek for someone to get on your side. You'll seek to sway someone to your opinion. Uh, this is why I feel this. This is why, I, you know, you need to understand what I'm going through here. But the last but not least, you'll, if you're not careful, you'll look to alleviate pressure. And you'll seek to alleviate pressure through the flesh, and you've got to watch it. That pressure, you know what that is? That's God developing you. You know what men don't want to do anymore? I'll give you ladies a break for a second. Men don't want the pressure of the consequence of their actions. Uh, men, uh, men have, I call, cell phone theology. Uh, men think that in, when you do something uh, wrong, you just get to turn the cell phone off and turn it back on, and it's all fixed. Well, that might be on some situations. But after a while, just a quick reset don't work. After a while, when there's a big enough problem, you've got to get the thing in the shop. And sometimes you've got to get an overhaul done. And sometimes you need an adjustment. Sometimes you need some parts replaced or your heart replaced. But that's men. Men don't want to be on the pressure. And when men, 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 when you guys do wrong and you feel that pressure, you ought, you ought to be willing just to sit under the pressure of your own mistakes. That makes a man. But men want instant cell phone theology fix. Just like that. Oh, let's press the reset. I'm sorry. Reset. Well, sorry is a good start. But it doesn't always fix the problem. It doesn't always fix the pressure. Well, let me read this about pressure. 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 Pressure makes people act out of character, doesn't it? <clears throat> the author here says, pressed out of measure and pressed to all length. Pressed so intensely it seems beyond strength. Pressed in the body. Pressed in the soul. Pressed in the mind till the dark surges roll. Pressured by foes and pressured by friends. Pressure on pressure till life nearly ends. Pressed into knowing no helper but God. Pressed into loving the staff and the rod. Pressed into liberty where nothing clings. Pressed into faith for impossible things. Pressed into tasting the joy of the Lord. Pressed into loving a Christ life outpoured. Well, David's on the run, isn't he? He's on the run. He starts on the run. He ends on the run. And the chapter 20 begins with David running to his friend for answers, then searching for agreement, then looking to alleviate pressure. And what I'm reminded of is David's in the process of God's development. And that includes God's divine appointments, God's detours, and everything that goes on in David's life. And may we take the troubles, the trials, and the tribulations, and may they cause us to and drive us to trust the Lord at His word, no matter what happens, no matter who helps us, and no matter how long it takes to get through the very thing God is using to develop us. 
And that's what I take from this. You're looking at God developing a king. He's, been, he's, been, uh, he's not been crowned yet, but he's been ordained to be king, uh, and God's developing. And this is a tough process. And you know what? That's what the Holy Spirit's doing for us. He's conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. That's why our troubles and our trials and our afflictions are appointed. And instead of trying to get the answers and agreement and alleviate the pressure, sometimes it's just better to go through it. So better to go through it. No matter how long it takes, that we may more carefully and more closely be molded to the image of His dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all in the process. We're in His classroom to be made in His image. And I see David on the run. And may this chapter help us to grow in Him. All right, why don't you stand? We'll be dismissed in prayer.